Well, good morning. It's always good to be with you. Uh, Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for this time we have to be together, uh, to gather together as your people. And we pray that as we open up our hearts to your word, that you would, through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, help us, each one of us, to hear exactly what you want us to hear. And in hearing, to, to find a way to heed your call and to be the people you are asking us to be in our everyday lives. God, we, we want to be the people you call us to be, and we need your help, your power to do it. And so we pray that you would use your word this morning to accomplish that change in us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. This morning we're continuing our our study, our focus on the Gospel of John. And I, I want us to begin by focusing on just how important water is. Right? The the difference between having water and not having water is the difference between life and death. Now, I, I honestly I don't give a lot of thought to water usually. I mean, occasionally when things get dry enough and we start talking about a drought, uh, prayers about rain and water start to enter into my devotional time. But, but for the most part, I don't think a whole lot about water. When I do, and I think I'm thirsty, I just go ahead and go to the faucet, turn it on, fill up my glass, and that's about it. But there was this one experience I've had in my life, and it has to do with, with water and being thirsty and it kind of changed things for me in terms of just my, my own experience of how important it is to have enough water when you need it. This was years ago, and I was on a mission trip, and we happened to be serving people in Arizona on an Indian reservation, and it was July. And it was literally 120 degrees in the shade. And I had been selected because people on this mission trip apparently didn't know the skill set that I have, or I guess I should say the skill set I don't have. But they, they, we were trying to serve the neighbors there. We wanted them to see how much we cared and, and loved them in addition to us talking about Jesus. But I, I got put on this work crew to help build a metal shed in the middle of the, the blistering heat in July in, in Arizona. And we kept telling each other how important it was to drink water and to stay hydrated. But it's just not something I do a whole lot of in my everyday life. And I just, I'm just i not somebody who tends to sweat a lot. I just don't get into situations that require sweating very often, I guess, if I'm honest. But here I was, and I was drinking water. And I get to the place where I have no more water. But we're, we're you know, getting closer to finishing this shed. And so I just kind of ignore it. And then all of a sudden, I notice that I'm just pouring sweat way more than I ever have in my life. My head starts pounding, and I get sick to my stomach. And one of the locals there who was with us takes one worried look at me and says, Hey, you're overdoing it. You need to get inside. You need to get some water. You need to rest. And because I already knew that everybody else on the work team had already decided I was the wimp of the team, I I just didn't want to give up that easily. And so I I decided I was going to fight through the advice of a person who's lived their entire life in Arizona and knows what they're talking about. Big mistake. I mean, 10 minutes later, I was in trouble. My vision got blurry. I almost passed out, which is a great way to prove that you're not the wimp on the team. 
And the, the, the local guy who was worried about me said, no, seriously, you've got to get inside. And so I spent the, the rest of that day and evening, had chills. Uh, I, I kept drinking water, felt like I couldn't get enough. Uh, I, my, my muscles kept cramping up without warning. I mean, it was heat exhaustion is not something you ever want to have to go through. And as I think about that experience, I think of that moment in my life as the moment where I really, I, I didn't, wasn't just reading about the importance of water. I knew that the difference between having water and not having water was the difference between living and dying. We need water. Open up your Bible to John chapter 4. We're going to start reading together in verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water... Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And John doesn't say this, but rabbis did not associate with women who were not in their family. Right? So on two accounts, why is he speaking to her? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from him himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, yeah, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Well, well go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Dear woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Everyone needs water. Right? The difference between having water and not having water is the difference between living and dying. So more often than she wants to, this Samaritan woman has to go and gather her empty water jar and leave the place where she's living so that she can go to the well that keeps her living. 
And as she walks, she thinks. She thinks about her life, where she's been, who she is, what she's done, what she's, what she's been through. And like most of us, that means that she's carrying far more than what she's able to carry in her arms. She's not just carrying this empty water jar. She's carrying burdens, secrets, and struggles that she is so tired of having to carry. I mean, when you've had five husbands and you live in a relatively small village, everybody talks about you. And the way they talk about you, it's not something you want to overhear. And that's probably why she decides to go and fill her water jar at noon. Right? At, at the time when the sun is, is shining down and beating down, nobody else goes typically to get water at noon unless they've unexpectedly run out. They go early in the morning or they go in the evening. She's there at noon because maybe it's going to be hot enough. She's not going to run into anybody else. She's tired of it. She needs water to keep her body going, but what she really needs is something that's going to nurture her soul. She needs something that's going to nourish her spirit. She needs living water, even though she's going to get regular, ordinary, everyday water. But she doesn't know that because she doesn't know that there is such a thing as living water. She doesn't even know it's a possibility that it exists. Right about then, she rounds the corner. And her heart has to sink because not only is somebody there who she's going to have to try to, to deal with and maybe have this awkward conversation with, especially if they know her, but the closer she gets, she realizes she doesn't know him. And, and now she's questioning why he's there at all. And, and she's, she's got to be concerned. But she needs the water. So she pushes through whatever awkwardness she feels, whatever questions she's got. And while she, she knows that, that this is somebody she's never encountered before, well, she realizes she doesn't know him. It doesn't take long for her to figure out that he knows her. Right? He knows well, just about everything about her. He, he knows things about her she doesn't really want to think that anybody knows, and certainly not a stranger. And yet, it, it's obvious that with all that he knows, what he knows about her it doesn't change the way he feels about her. And that's new. That's different. Because in her experience, the more people know about her, the more they talk about her, the more they, they, they judge her, the more they condemn her. She can tell this guy knows more than, than he should know. He, he's a prophet. He knows so much. And yet, here he is, a Jew, and not just a Jew, but a Jewish man, a teacher, who shouldn't be speaking to her, and yet he receives her. He talks to her. He doesn't ignore her. He doesn't reject her. He doesn't push her away. He welcomes her into this interaction, into this conversation. You know, Jesus is able to see something. He, he's able to see more than her secrets. I mean, she knows he can see that, but, 
She understands that he sees past those secrets and past those struggles. He understands that she's haunted and hunted by those struggles, but he wants something more for her. He wants to talk about something more than just what she's going through and what she's done that maybe she's not very proud of. And so they have this interaction where where she can tell that he cares about the fact that she's tired, that she has to be tired, right? She's thirsty for, for water in her body, but she's really thirsty for, for water that, that only he can help her experience. So she has to be tired. She's never had that water before. She's dying of thirst for it. She's tired of quick fixes. She's tired of relationships that she just can't make work. She's tired of all the people in her life who, who feel like they're maybe better than her. She's tired of this sneaking suspicion in, in her soul that That as hard as her past has been to endure, the future might actually be even more difficult to face. She's thirsty and she's tired and there's no possible way that Jacob's well is the answer. Not really. But the one who's waiting for her at Jacob's well, well, he is. She doesn't understand it. She doesn't see it, but Jesus wants to help her. He wants to help open her heart and her life to the possibility that with with as much difficulty and discouragement as she's had to deal with, it doesn't have to define her. Jesus knows that she's thirsty for living water, that she's that she's dying of thirst for the water of acceptance, for the water of forgiveness, that she she needs the water that, that brings release from judgment and freedom from fear. The, the water that, that offers a kind of wholeness and healing that nothing else can. And Jesus isn't about to just let her keep limping her way through life without knowing that that water is available, that it exists, without knowing that he's not just there, but somehow in, in, a, in a sacred, in a divine way, he's there for her. He, he wants her to have this, this encounter. And it's difficult because when they start to talk, it, it's like she would rather have a theological debate with him than have a real honest conversation with him about her life. And if, if your life was as complicated as hers is with, with the difficulties and the struggles that she has, I, I think we can relate to that. I think we can understand why she'd rather talk about anything else than her own life. But Jesus says that what she's experienced in her life, it's wrapped up with, with the Messiah. It's, it's wrapped up with what God wants to do, not just for her, but for everyone And he wants to find a way to push through her defenses, to help her understand, to help her find a way through him to leave it all behind at the well. All of her doubts and all of her fears and all of her struggles, to leave it all behind. What did you carry with you into this moment this morning? I'm not talking about a Bible or a phone or a tablet. I'm talking about those, those almost hidden burdens and struggles that we use our masks to hide. 
What did you bring with you this morning? I mean, only you can answer that question. Only you know what it is that if if you encountered Jesus at this well and he was going to bring up what it is you're struggling with, only you know what he'd be talking about. He asks this woman about five failed marriages and a relationship that she's in right now that, that he kind of questions, right? What would he bring up if he were to talk to you? What kind of emotional and spiritual baggage is weighing you down? Because the only reason John tells us this story it's because Jesus' offer of living water, it's not just for this, this woman at the well. It's, it's for you and for me too. And if we reduce this to simply a story that happened 2,000 years ago to this, this Samaritan woman whose name we, we never learn. And if we, we allow the, the story to stay stuck in the past, it's not going to do the work the redemptive, transformative work that John is convinced this story can do in our lives. The truth is the woman at the well obviously carried burdens and struggles. But she carried more than that. She also, it turns out, she's carrying within her a longing for something better. Right? And she brings it up when she, she finds out she's got a prophet here who might be able to tell her, Something of the truth, something of God's truth, something that she's always wrestled with and maybe she's never fully understood it. And I don't know if you noticed this, but it's this push and pull of rejection in her personal life, but also the rejection that she feels because she doesn't belong to what has long been regarded throughout history as God's chosen people, right? She's not a Jewish woman, she's a Samaritan woman. She doesn't just have a personal life that, that maybe creates distance between her and God. By an accident of birth, she feels like, you know what, I'm not really included. I don't actually belong. So if you're God's prophet, could you tell me, do I belong? Am I welcome? If I want to open my heart up and worship to God, will I be heard? Will I be seen? Will I be received? Tell me, prophet. Tell me God's truth. And as Jesus speaks to her, as as he talks to her, he wants her to understand that she's right to carry, in addition to her burdens and her questions, she's right to carry this, this longing. She's right to carry this hope that that someone special is going to show up and that when that someone special, the Messiah, the Christ, shows up, that her life really is going to be made new, that she's going to be welcomed in, in spirit and in truth because God is spirit, he says, and God is everywhere. God is with everyone and God is wanting to change not just your life but everybody's life. You're welcome. Everyone's welcome. Can you see it? This is the central question of the Gospel of John. Can you see it? And in this story, Jesus is basically asking her, can you see me? And she doesn't. Not not really, not at first. She thinks he's a prophet. And then she starts talking about the Messiah. And she says, you know, 
He'll be the one to explain it to us in the midst of Jesus explaining it to her. And you've got to think there was a playful glint in his eye when he said, hey, you know what? You know how you've been waiting for explanation of the truth? You're waiting for the Messiah to come and make things clear to you so that you can see it? I am he, Jesus says. Which is not a conversational way to say it's me. And John wants you to notice that phrasing. Because this isn't just some Jewish rabbi. This isn't just some prophet. This is the great I am. Standing at Jacob's well and telling a woman who feels like she is walking, living rejection that this is her day, that this is her moment. I love the phrase Jesus says to her, a time is coming and has come. Right? It's th- this, this, this is her moment. This is her day. And he wants her to understand that he's not just some random teacher she's encountering here by accident. But this is God. This is the great I am speaking to her as if she's someone he knows and cherishes and cares about. Because that's exactly how he feels when he sees her. It's exactly what he feels as he encounters her. She belongs. She belongs to him. And he wants to help her see it. And like this woman, you and I carry more than our burdens and our struggles and our secrets, don't we? We carry a sense of of longing. We, We carry our hopes and our dreams. We want to believe that something better really is possible. Look, it's because we we know, right, somehow or another, that we aren't exactly who God created us to be. And, and we know the world isn't exactly what God created it to be either. And it's easy at times like that, in moments like that, to get discouraged and to kind of be tempted to give up and decide that there are so many things wrong with us and there's so many things wrong with everyone else and everything else that we're just not sure whether or not it's all worth it. But you and I, we don't have to go to that place. We don't have to allow that, that discouragement to overtake us, we can choose to believe, we can choose to believe that something better really is coming. We, we can choose to live with expectation. We can choose to live with this, this deep trust in God, that God is getting ready to do something beyond our imagination to bring about belonging and healing and welcome that come from heaven They don't come from here. It all comes from heaven. It comes from the heart of God. We can believe that that's possible. And when we listen to Jesus again and we realize this this phrase, right, that a time will come and has now come, we realize that it's not just something that we're hoping for in the far off future, but it's something that you and I need to learn how to look for right now, this day, in this moment. Because just like it was her moment, it's ours. God's not getting ready to do something better. God is already doing something better. I noticed this guy slip into the back of the the auditorium about 10 minutes into the sermon. And he looked to me like he'd been up all night crying. Red-rimmed eyes, 
full of grief and fear. And I could just tell he was uncomfortable. He was uneasy. And when worship was over, he quickly made his way up to where I was standing. He kind of cut in line of, of people who I was, was visiting with. And with desperation, in, in a whispered tone, he said, is there any way that we could go somewhere else to talk? I said, sure. So we, we went to my, my office, and as we settled in, it was obvious that he was probably even more uncomfortable in my office than he had been in the auditorium. And he just started, without any prompting from me, just started to talk about the fact that his life was completely falling apart. He, he had a struggle with an addiction that he just, he, he had tried countless times to beat it and he just, he, he, he couldn't do it. And he said, I've got to the place where, where my wife has told me that if, if I don't get better, she's going she's gonna to take our son and she's going to leave. And he just started to openly weep at the thought of losing everyone and everything in his family over the struggle that he had. And I, I didn't know what to say to him. I, I didn't know how to comfort him. I, I just, I prayed with him and I asked him if he, he could have his wife come and, and we could all talk together about what was going on with their family. And he said he would. So a couple of days later, they show up together, Dan and Susan. They come into my office and she, she has that look of someone who's tried everything and it hasn't worked. And she's got nothing left. I mean, I say she had nothing left. She had hope. I mean, it was barely there. It was, it was a faint flicker of hope, but it, it was there. It was hope. And Susan starts to talk about what it's, what it's like to try to live with Dan and the struggle that he has and, and the difficulty and, and the fact that it's just his addiction and the fact that he wasn't dealing with it. It's, just, it's tearing their lives apart. It's, it's, it's tearing their family apart. And she just said, I don't, I don't know what to do anymore. I don't know where to go anymore. But here we are. And, and they talked together about, you know, wanting to make a commitment. And, and she said, you know, he, he'd been going to his support group meetings for a couple of weeks, but he'd done that before in the past. And then he just, he would, he would stop going because he'd start to think he had it beat and he didn't have it beat. And she said, I don't, if he stops going to those meetings and if he doesn't start going to church, I'm done. And he turned to her and said, well, I'll keep going to the meetings, but if you want me to go to church, I feel like we need to go together. Will you go with me to church? And she said, yeah. And so they started to come to church. And, and we made this commitment to one another that we were going to continue to meet together and we were going to talk and we were going to pray. But I, I got to tell you, when they left my office, I, I felt like I couldn't see a way forward for them. I mean, they were this scared, heartbroken couple whose marriage was holding on by the thinnest of threads. And I just thought, this, maybe he's failed too many times for this to actually work. But then the most amazing thing started to happen. People at church started to reach out to them. And not just people of faith, but people of faith from church who had dealt with addictions 
in their family life. People who had been there before. And they started journeying with Dan and Susan. They, they walked beside them. They, they held their hands. They, they started to, to pray with them and study scripture with them. And, and then before long, they joined a small group. And they, they started to really share life with a, a group of people from church all of whom were, were pulling for them and trying to do whatever they could think of to help them. And, and as he continued to go to those meetings and as, they, as a family continued to come to church, I, I started to see something that had, had been missing, something that was lost was found. Something came alive again. About 10 months passed and I get a phone call from Dan kind of out of the blue. And I'm pretty nervous that I'm getting this phone call when, you know, we hadn't set up a time to meet or talk or, or anything like that. And I start to worry before I, I even hit the button on the phone to, to pick it up and talk to him. Has he, has he messed up? Has he fallen off the wagon? Has he broken one of his promises to Susan? I mean, what? Why is he calling like this? And when Dan starts to talk, his voice is trembling on the other line. And I... I start thinking, I, this is bad. And, and then he, he says, um, is there any way we could meet today? I know there's, there's no warning here, and I know you may have stuff to do, but is there any way we could meet today? And I yeah, 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 I say, yeah, because I'm waiting for the bomb to drop. And then he says, well, that's good, because I'd like to talk with you about being baptized. Oh, me of little faith. So, a few hours later, after we visited and after we talked, and again, they've been, they've been at church for months now, and they, they have their closest friends come down to the building, and we gather around the baptistry together, and I'm starting to kind of go into a normal pre-baptismal talk I would normally do, and he is just, he can't, he's fidgeting, he's so nervous, he finally says, could you just wrap it up? <laughs> okay. So we get into the water together, and I mean, he is so nervous, and he said, it's just, you just ask a question, right? There's no more talking. I said, no, we, we don't have to do any more talking. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and your only hope for salvation? Yeah, I believe. And I baptize him. I lower him in the water. I, I pull him back up again. And he immediately just hugs me. I mean, sloshing water everywhere, right? Thanking me and drenching me at the same time. And then Dan asks a question that has never left me. It has stayed with me from that moment on. He said, I know I'm in the church, and I know I may be dripping everywhere, but could I stay in these wet clothes a little bit longer? I don't want to change out of them just yet because this water feels like new life. This water feels like new life. Brothers and sisters, we, we live in a world full of people who are thirsty for a kind of water that they don't even know is possible, right? They, they don't even know that it exists. They, they need living water the water of acceptance, the water of forgiveness, the water of belonging, the water of welcome, the, the water that brings release from, from judgment and freedom from fear, 
the water that offers a wholeness and a healing that you can't find anywhere else. So may we do everything we can to help everyone we know find find Jesus as he waits for them at that well. May we do everything we can for everyone we know to help them find that living water that alone can save them. Because they're dying of thirst and they need help. They need need somebody to, to show them the way and Jesus wants us to be those people. The only reason John tells us this story so that we can hear it 2,000 years later is not just because it happened once but because he believes it still happens. That this story, it doesn't just belong to the Samaritan woman. This story belongs to us and brothers and sisters, it's a story that is still coming true. Who do you need to help find their way to that living water? Who who can you reach? Who can you invite? Who can you welcome? They need our help. How can we turn away? We're going to sing together now, and as we do, I want you to think about the people in your life who need to know that God is looking for them. God is seeking them. God is searching for them. May we be the people that help them be found. Let's stand together and sing now.